0: If you have a Bible, open to the book of Acts, and we are going to be in Acts chapter 4 today. I have uh, really loved how God is leading us in this series through Tim, um, in that he keeps telling us this is not just something we want to look at as a type of church history lesson or something that has happened but that we would be seeking and desiring and praying that we would see this again in our church. Uh, It reminds me of what the prophet Habakkuk says when he says, God, I've heard of your fame, I've heard of your renown, I've heard of your power and your works, what you've done, do it again. Do it again in our day, what you have done in the past. And, And that's important because even though the gospel movement has swept through the world, it has not yet swept through your community has not swept entirely through your neighborhood, maybe even in your family, through your circle of friends, through your sphere of influence. And so as we're reading this and as we're looking through this, that's our prayer. Every time we gather, every time we open this book is that, God, would you do this again? God, would you move with power like you did then? God, would the gospel message infiltrate, penetrate, sweep through our community and through our world. So let's pray that God uh, would do that and help us this morning as we, uh, as we go to this text. Father God, we love you. And God, your word is power. Your word is truth that sets us free. God, your word um, sustains us. God, your word satisfies us. I know all of those things are true. God, you say of your word that when it goes out, it works. It does not return void. And so, God, I believe that promise. I claim that promise. Um, but, God, this, um, I also know that it is not by my might nor by my power, but by your Spirit. So, Holy Spirit, I pray for a covering and a filling. I pray that you would move with great freedom, that chains would be broken here this morning because of your power and your presence in this place. Jesus, we want to make much of you. It's always about your fame, your renown, and your glory. And so I ask all these things in your name. Amen. What we've been seeing in Acts up to this point, to our section where we are today, are some pretty incredible things. The Spirit of God has come. Um, Peter has this incredible uh, sermon every day. People are being added to the community. Thousands are being added. People are being healed. But then last week we saw they have this run in with these religious leaders, and and now their movement is starting to be threatened a little bit. So we have opposition and conflict entering into the story of this early church. So Acts chapter four, look at verse 23 with me. When they were released, that's Peter and John, they went to their friends and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, this is their friends, They lifted their voices together to God and they said, sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Now what stands out to me right off the get-go is their instinctive reflex in the face of danger or conflict. I think about if this was us. So if we had some leaders from the church who came back and said, hey, we were just out there, we were doing some public preaching. And we were met with opposition from, uh, from other leaders. We were met with opposition from the, from the law. What would we do? What would be our first instinct? We'd, we'd say, okay, well, we've got to have a new policy. We're going to have to kind of change our message a little bit. Or maybe there are certain places we don't go, we don't preach. Or, you know, maybe we'd, we'd try to figure out a protection plan. and say, okay, well, look, so now we've got to travel with a security detail. You know, we can't just kind of have you guys out there on your own. We'd call our insurance agent or our lawyer. Hey, what do we need to do? How do we protect ourselves? Maybe some of you, when you heard it, you'd get all ramped up and you'd, you'd get on social media and you'd start a big Facebook riot or you'd be all over Twitter, right? What does their church do? What do they do? They pray. Uh, John Piper is an author, pastor. He says this. He says, one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. He's a pretty stiff drink of water, but he's right. You see, when you're walking with the Spirit of God, prayer is your natural reflex because you realize how dependent you are on the Spirit for everything. Our prayerlessness is not a discipline problem. It's a dependency problem. Our struggle with prayer reveals in us that we really don't believe that we are dependent on the Spirit of God. Because if you're trying to tackle your prayerlessness, the answer is not in your resolve to do better. your discipline, you're trying harder. Well, I just need to be more committed. But, but it's going back to the gospel message. The early church was saturated in this message. Every time they get a chance to open their mouth... It's what they preach. It's what they say because it's there in that gospel message that you realize how desperate you really are and how in need and how dependent you are on the Spirit's power and how willing God is to help. And when you're there, Paul Miller says, your praying becomes natural like breathing. John, in John 15, 5, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do what, church? You know it. You can do nothing. Let me ask you this. When your feet hit the floor in the morning, is that the thought that you have? Are those the first words out of your mouth? Is that the first thought through your mind, through your heart? God, I can't do anything without you today. As a church, we can be known for many things. We can be known, man, they got great teachers there, or they got great worship, or they got great facility, or the kids' deal is great, all that kind of thing. What if we were known as a church that was desperate in our dependence on the Spirit of God? I'd love to be a part of a church like that. A church, that was a prayer-first people. We see their response. First was to pray. Next we see what they pray. The, they say in verse 24, sovereign, which, which, which means, God, you are in control of everything. You cause or allow everything. You're never on vacation. You're never off the job. Everything is in your control. You know all things. And then they pray scripture, verse 25, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit... Why did the Gentiles rage and the the people's plot in vain? The kings of earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. They're quoting Psalm 2, which means that they are are seeing the fulfillment of prophecy. They believe the scriptures when they pray. Verse 27, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do... Whatever your hand and your plan had predestined, predetermined to take place, they say, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants, what, look up here, it's on the screen so you can cheat anyway, but what do they ask for? God, you see what's going down. You see the trouble that we're in. We see the opposition that's against us. There's now conflict. There's now tension in the story. And so, God, we come to you because you're sovereign and because you can. And here's what we're asking for. What do they ask for? They ask for safety, traveling mercies, a new government, new laws, religious freedom. The prayer is for boldness. Boldness is what got them into trouble in the first place. They say, God, grant us boldness. What do you pray for in persecution? What do you pray for in your pain? Typically we pray for protection, we pray for deliverance from pain, and no doubt they wanted those things, no doubt. But before they prayed for a positive outcome around them, they prayed for a faithful spirit within them, that they would be bold for the gospel regardless of the outcome. They asked God to help them to respond in faith, whatever the situation, they prayed for faith so that they might respond in a faithful way. And so again, the question is, in your moments of pain, in your moments of opposition to the gospel, what do you pray for? Do you pray that God would make you faithful even in the midst of your pain? In the, in the midst of opposition, is it greater for you to know that God might use this to bring someone to saving faith to a, a relationship with him? Or is it more important that your pain would be eased, that your suffering would be eased, that your opposition or the conflict would be solved? Because they prayed, let us speak your word with all boldness. Verse 30. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness because they prayed this way the gospel message went forward and because generations of people after them prayed this way the gospel message continued to go forward and continued to move all the way around the world to us here today in this place now we look at this and we say okay great man I get it I I already felt bad about myself coming in here and now I feel even worse I want to be bolder boldness that's great I wish I had that Praying first, that's what I want. I want. I want that. I wish that was my instinct. But, but let, me, let me define boldness first because I'm, I'm not talking about bravado. I'm not talking about just being more extroverted because those are all things that come with personality, but boldness is from the Holy Spirit. Boldness is our willingness to do the right thing at the right time regardless of the barriers or fears that we encounter. Boldness is what enables us to speak the truth or perform a task without the fear of consequences or results because it's the right biblical God-honoring thing to do. Boldness is realizing that God is in control. but Boldness is, is knowing that he's there in us, beside us. He goes before us. And, and, and because of that, we don't need to fear what others might do to us. And so we're able to concentrate on the call that God has given us, and we do it with passion and conviction. Boldness that comes from the Holy Spirit says, there might be fear. There might be fear in what I'm called to do. There might be fear in the situation, but faith will have the final word, not fear. My confidence in God will have the final word, not my fear. So where does this kind of boldness come from? I, I wrestled all through high school, and in our wrestling room, uh, there was this sign, and our coach used to say this to us all the time, but the sign on the wall said, if you can visualize, you can actualize. If you can visualize, you can actualize. And he would say that all the time to kind of deal with the fear that we, that we would have in there. And, and there is an element of that strategy that does work, the power of positive thinking. But there's an, there's an issue with it, because even when you visualize good things happening, Bad things can still happen, and if you're going to use this strategy, you kind of have to deny that a little bit. I mean, I never visualized myself getting clobbered, but it happened all the time. <laughs> and so if I'm going to employ this kind of strategy, which, uh, which the world does, our culture, society does, then I would become courageous by becoming delusional. So where does this type of boldness come from? I think there's three things we see in this text um, that church we we can employ to become the type of witness that God wants us to be. First is belief in God's sovereign purpose in your pain for his mission. Let me me say that again. The, The first way we become bold is belief in God's sovereign purpose. In your pain for his mission. This church believed that. That's why you see in verse 24 and verse 28, God, you're sovereign. Whatever went down is what you predetermined to go down. So for us, what if our first thought in a moment of conflict, tension, problem was to say, God, you're sovereign. And, and, and you're going to use this for the accomplishing of your purposes and your perfect plan how would that prayer shape your perspective on your pain? Before you asked God to resolve your pain, you submitted to the truth that God has a sovereign plan to use that pain for his greatest glory and for your greatest good. How would that change your prayer? How would that change your perspective? How would your perspective change if you saw everything in your life, good and bad, as sovereignly ordered by God, given to you for the purpose of God's mission? In times of loss, your first thought was, how can I leverage this for the fame and the renown of Jesus Christ? How can I use this pain to continue to tell the good news of who Jesus is and what he is doing and what he promises to finish? In times of gain, in times of blessing... How, how, God, can I use this blessing? How can I use these additional resources? How can I use these additional abilities or talents? Not to make a name for myself, but to make known the name that is above all names. Not for building my own kingdom, but so that the kingdom of God might be furthered in some way in my life. Before you try to fix the problem, which is usually our first instinct to go right to solution, Reflect on the sovereignty of God. Put God's sovereignty over your solutions. Because you see, faith during the problem is more important and more valuable than fixing the problem. The, the second way that we become bold in our witness is our, is our knowledge of the scriptures The second way we become bold in our witness is our knowledge of the scriptures. The first thing out of their mouths in this prayer was the scripture from the Old Testament claiming that they knew the promises of God and that they believed in the promises of God. Eugene Peterson is an author. He says, this true prayer is not just talking to God. It is answering God. God has already spoken in his word. Prayer is a response to what he said. One pastor, I heard him say this, know the scripture so well that when life cuts you, you bleed God's word. You see, when the word of God is on your lips, the spirit of God works in and through your situation. I didn't share this story the uh, first hour, but I want to share it with you guys so it pays to sleep in. Um, (laughs) When my oldest oldest child was born, my daughter, uh, Evie, when she was first born, uh she was born with some breathing difficulties when she came out, you know, that she didn't have like the the scream that kids like typically have. She just had this like ah sound that was like, eh, that doesn't sound right. And uh so they, they took her right away, and, uh, you know, it was our first baby. We didn't really know what was going on, so we're kind of scrambling, you know, and they were kind of tending to my wife, and so I went into where she was, and they put her in the the oxygen hood thing, and they got all these hoses and all the stuff, and the nurse practitioner who was kind of working there with her just looked at me and said, that doesn't look good for your baby, and I was like, oh, what does that mean? You know, we, didn't, we just didn't know, and, and we were just, I mean it was it was really 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 rough and so um that night uh you know they just said we're going to kind of work with her overnight and we're we'll we'll you know we'll let you know in the morning how it works out and so that night and i'm not giving this story to you as a prescriptive way that you should do it i'm just telling you um, to make a point here um i did the classic thing that you should really never do um and this is embarrassing especially as a pastor but i just took my bible on the on the bed and i just flopped it open. And I was super desperate, obviously. And I said, God, I, I don't even know like what to pray. I have no idea what to say. I have no idea what to ask for. I I know I know you're I know you're good, but I'm just really, really struggling with that right now. And I just, I literally just flopped my Bible open and I just happened to kind of look down. Again, I'm not saying this is going to happen for you when you go home and try it. So um, you could land up in some weird Levitical law. But um, <laughs> the text, like right in the middle of my Bible that my eyes just went to. Now, I'm, I'm, uh, my, my baby girl's in the, you know, the other room. I don't, I don't know what's going on. Just don't get it. Isaiah 44 too. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb, and will help you. Fear not. Now, I'm not Pentecostal, but man, if I didn't claim that scripture right there and right then, and I mean, that is so ingrained in my heart and in my mind and and, and that's what the early church knew. They knew the promises of God and so in their moments of desperation they weren't scrambling for words because the promises of God were in their hearts and out of the overflow of their heart it just came out of their mouth. Knowledge of the scriptures makes us bold in our witness. The third thing is the filling of the Holy Spirit. Because the answer to their prayer came with the filling of the Spirit so powerfully that he shook the place where they were meeting. When I first read this text, when I knew I was going to be teaching a section, that just, for whatever reason, jumped off the page of me. I was like, I have no idea what that means. I don't have no idea why that's in there, but I just think that's cool, that the room just shook. I've never been in a prayer meeting like that, but the room just shook. And so I I thought, man, what does that mean? Why, Why is that so significant? Because whenever God comes down to earth, the earth seems to crumble under its weight. If you look through the scripture, there's earthquakes and lightning. It's terrifying. You look in Isaiah 6, it talks about the foundations um, shaking. In, in Exodus chapter 19, there's this really fantastic moment where God is going to have a meeting with Moses. And he, and he says, look, I'm going to come meet with you on that mountain, but you've got to warn everybody and warn all the critters too. Don't go near it or else they'll die, okay? And so Moses says, okay, got it. Don't go near the mountain. Um, And here's why. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Now this time, when God comes down, it's not terrifying to the church, it's empowering. And for us, we don't shake with fear, but with boldness and worship, because the God who saved us and now lives inside of us, the scripture says, he's for us, so who or what can be against us? The place was shaken, but the Christians inside the place were not shaken, And after the place was shaken, verse 31 tells us they continued to speak the word of God in boldness. Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews kind of goes back to this moment in Exodus chapter 19 and and speaks about it. And I I have loved this passage of scripture for a long time, Um, but he connects that event in Exodus chapter Nineteen with what we experience now. He says, verse 18 in Hebrews chapter 12, for you have not come to what may be touched, uh, uh, a, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest. It's not like that and the sound of a trumpet and the voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But he, here's what the writer of Hebrews says. Here's what you get, verse 20. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more, will I not only shake the earth, but also the heavens. And, and the writer explains that in verse 27. This phrase, yet once more, indicates What the writer is saying is, we're being given a kingdom that cannot be shaken, but in that, let everything that can be shaken in our lives shake. If it can be shaken, let it shake. And it might just be me, but I feel like that's kind of what's happening in the world. There's a political shaking. There's there's a societal shaking. Maybe in your world, it's a relational shaking or a financial shaking or a medical shaking vocational shaking and it seems that the more that our world shakes the more difficult it is to to hear God and and the more that our world shakes the more our prayers that God just make the shaking stop and we just want safety and we just want stability and I think it's totally normal to want that but church when the spirit wants to bring life and change things in our life will shake and the scripture says if it can shake it should shake and instead of trying to stabilize something that's not yours to stabilize, I believe God wants to let it shake. Church, we should seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that our souls might be shaken with him. Now that phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit, what, what does that, what's that mean? I, I think it's like this. this is a, I'm kind of borrowing this illustration from a, a Puritan writer, actually a guy named Thomas Goodwin. When I come home from work, uh, I grab my three-year-old son, Silas, and I grab him, and I pick him up, and I squeeze him as hard as I can, and I kiss his neck, and and I'll rub on his little head, and I'll, like, tickle him and grab him, and I'll pick him up and body slam him on the couch. Now, in that moment, when I'm doing that with him, when I come home from work, is he more of a son to me than when I'm away at work? The difference is his feeling of sonship is greater at that moment. And that's what being filled with the Holy Spirit is like. Fullness of the Holy Spirit doesn't change your legal status with God. That's fully settled in Christ. But what does increase is your awareness of sonship. Now, we are indwelt and and filled with the Holy Spirit 1 Corinthians tells us that at the moment of our conversion. But we see in the book of Acts these frequent and repeated fillings throughout the book of Acts. And so like them, we should seek those fillings of the Spirit in our lives. I mean, Paul says, I, I pray that you might be more aware of how high and how deep and how wide is the, is the love of God so that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. So, so in other words, the fullness of the Holy Spirit is when God has given you an awareness to how great of a father he is, how great of a sinner you are, and how extravagant his love is and how amazing his grace is over you, that it creates a, a boldness and a security in you to proclaim how excellent Christ is with your whole life. And these early Christians, I mean, they've got firsthand experience of the risen Christ. They've got immediate access to the apostles. Uh, they, they asked for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit in their situation. So how much more should we seek it? When, when is the last time you actually asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because Peter and John asked for it all the time. Tim Tim has been leading us as a church, and he's been leading us as a staff too, with with this question through this series, and really for a long time. But he said, he has this line: he says, "We get as much of God as we ask for." And Jesus said, "You don't have because you don't ask." And we need to ask and pray for it in specific ways like they did. They prayed for the, the gift of bold proclamation. They prayed for his hand to, to be stretched out to heal. They prayed for the name of Jesus to be na- known through signs and wonders. So how do we respond? I mean, how, what do we do with a message like this? I, I think there's, there's three things we need to do. Um, some of us are so concerned about if people will accept us or not if people think that we're weird, that we wither at any opportunity to be a bold witness. And, and listen, I am there half the time as well. So we need to repent. Because we have a Savior who didn't just risk his life. He, he didn't just risk his popularity. He didn't just risk his reputation. He gave his life So that we might be saved. He he didn't just risk whether or not people would think he's weird. He became an outcast, an outsider on the outside of town where, where he was stripped naked, humiliated, insulted, spit on, dying on a cross alone in a garbage dump. We need to repent. We need to repent of our self centeredness. We need to repent of our misplaced worship. We need to repent of our lack of passion for seeing the name of Jesus being made famous in our world and in our generation. We do not have a desire for the glory of God to be seen and experienced in our world the same way that God has a desire for His glory to be seen and experienced in our world and in this generation. We need to repent of our fear. Fear is a misplaced faith in the enemy and not a properly placed faith in your Savior whose perfect love casts out fear. Fear is a misplaced faith in the enemy. And and here's the thing. If you read ahead, this is just the beginning of things getting tougher for this church. The second thing we need to do is we need to pray the promises of Scripture. Know them. Hide them in your heart. You say, "Well, I'd like to, but I, re- I have a hard time, trouble memorizing things." Anybody in here ever learned the Pledge of Allegiance? Like as a kid, anybody in here, right? Not Marcus; he's Canadian, but he had. To. <laughs> if you've memorized the Pledge of Allegiance, you can do this. You can even put your hand over your heart when you recite them. That'd be cool too. <laughs> no scripture. Pray the promises of Scripture. Lastly, um, I need to engage in the mission. Uh, We're going to go ahead, and this is probably not allowed, but I'm going to do it anyway. Verse 32, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. And they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as had need. They pray this prayer for boldness, and they immediately get after it. They immediately engage in the mission. So how do you do that? Start with your neighbor. I don't know my neighbor. Step one, know your neighbor. Step two, listen to them. Listen to their story. Where does the story of Jesus intersect with their story? And then love them right in the middle of that. The, the band's going to come back up. We're going to sing one last song as just kind of a response to, to God's word. And as a prayer for God to make this real in us. And that we would be a, a bold witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But, but as they come, I'm just going to ask if you would just kind of bow your head, close your eyes. Just because I I feel, for me personally, I'll just say it that way, um, God is bringing serious, serious conviction to me about that. And I I think in this room, God is working this morning um, to make us aware of who he is and to be reminded once again of his sovereign plan and power, uh, of how his strength is perfected in our weakness And how uh, the places of pain and the places of suffering and the places of opposition are not wasted by him. They are opportunities for him to show up and show off. And so we just need a a moment this morning, just a moment um, of quiet, just personally, you and God, to have that conversation. And then we'll stand and corporately sing together the praises of our God and be reminded of the promise of who he is. God, I pray that you would have mercy on us. God, I pray that you would send your spirit with great power. God, I pray that you would make us bold for the sake of your name.